Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, a podcast designed to help you prepare for Sunday and beyond. I am Pastor Wright, and each week I have a conversation exploring the Bible readings for this upcoming Sunday. Join us as we discuss how the lessons are applied to our daily life in Christ. Welcome to Get Right for Sunday. I am Pastor Wright. And I'm Vicar Hill. And today we're going to look at the first Sunday in Advent. And I get to say this is the third season of Get Right for Sunday. I'm very excited for all the listeners, all the feedback, and everything that you guys have done to support Get Right for Sunday. Hey, Vicar Hill. Yes, sir. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It's the new church year. The new church year. And we get to do this early December, awkwardly, before everybody else celebrates New Year. So, Happy New Year. If you would like to listen to the readings for all of the first Sunday in Advent, you can do so by listening to the reading podcast that was dropped previous to this. The Gospel lesson comes to us from St. Luke, the 19th chapter verses 28 through 40. And this is Luke's account of the triumphal entry, the Lucan account. And so, Vicar, I'm going to pick on you. As per our usual arrangement. Absolutely. Where's baby Jesus? I, I want baby Jesus. Isn't that what Advent is all about, preparing for baby Jesus? Why do we have Jesus entering into Jerusalem for his death. I want happy, warm, fuzzy feelings. Yeah, you want the the weather to be cold and yes. it to be warm inside yep. with all the joys of the expectation of baby Jesus. Yes. Make well, it happen. <laughs> well, I'm not going to change that. But <laughs> what I will explain a little bit, and I think you might know this, but for, for those listening who might need a refresher, uh, we're celebrating or we're beginning really the season of Advent here, where of course we're looking forward to, we're eagerly awaiting the coming of baby Jesus, uh, of Jesus taking on flesh, uh, being born. We get to celebrate that that again. But in the season of Advent, we're also celebrating uh, and remembering the second coming of Jesus. So it's an interesting thing. We kind of get to go forward in time and backward in time and forward again. And here we are. Uh, we're, we're with adult Jesus as he ramps up uh, his, his earthly ministry as we're starting off really what is Passion Week in yeah, our text Palm here. Sunday. Um, we're starting that off here at kind of the end point, and then we're going to circle back to the birth of Christ. But really in Advent, we're looking forward to not just the birth of Jesus, but also finally when Jesus will return and restore all things. And uh, luckily for, for us, those are both things worth celebrating. So we have both of those in mind. I really appreciate that. And I really like that because it, it helps us focus on what the point of Advent and Christmas is. It's about Jesus, period. Jesus being born, Jesus living, Jesus dying, Jesus rising again, Jesus ascending. All of this happens throughout the whole church year. We, throughout the, the seasons, we make emphasis in his ministry, his life, his death, his resurrection. 
but at no point do we forsake one part for another. Mm -hmm. And I think Advent does a really great job of that. And starting off Advent, starting off the whole Christmas season with Jesus entering into his death, really states where do we find ourselves in Christ? Where are we when we look at Christ? We're on this side of heaven, and we're in this state of death. Now, we have life in him. We have the promise of the resurrection, but we are waiting for our death or Jesus to come back, the second coming. And so, we are truly living in this time of anticipation. Mm -hmm. And we should have some urgency on this. I made the, the silly joke, where's baby Jesus? We should have this urgency that Christ is coming back as he promises. This is the joy of the mystery of the incarnation. Jesus throughout the Old Testament, God throughout the whole Old Testament, promised Jesus is coming. And you really see the Old Testament saints waiting. Prophet after prophet after prophet said he's coming. And with urgency, mm -hmm. they were waiting. Uh, a lot of discipline, a lot of forgetting, but it was always he's coming. And now with us some 2,000 years after the resurrection, we're like, Jesus is coming in the nativity set. Oh, <laughs> cute baby Jesus. And I think we've lost this urgency. And I say this with some levity, but has that anticipation kind of slacked off? It's one of those things where um, as the church, mm -hmm. and we have the, the church church calendar and the lectionary for a reason to help, as you said, emphasize certain things at different times. But ultimately, we're, we're remembering the whole picture yeah. at all times. Um, so it's not like we enter the season of Advent and, you know, we don't need to be mournful over our sins. Right. That's for Lent, right? Yes. That, yeah, that's, that's when that's we repent. Yeah. Well, we also get reminded, and like today's text is a good example, that we get to celebrate the coming of Jesus, the incarnation, taking on flesh as a baby, because he came to be our savior. Mm -hmm. And as he, as that baby grew up, he went on to then go to the cross. But that was necessary because of our sin. Right. So we get to celebrate and we get to anticipate, but we're putting this all in perspective. And that's a good thing to do here as we start off the season of Advent. I like that word perspective. How do we see Jesus? How do we see his work? How do we see our life, especially in this text? So this is a great text. It's a fun text. And when I say fun, there's just a lot happening. So when Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering it you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away found it just as he had told them. And as they were tying it, the colt, the owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? I've always wondered about this. Just the way I read it. Hey, guys, why are you untying the colt? It looks like they're stealing <laughs> this guy's colt, and we always make it sound so nice. Oh, hey, guys, just wondering. Why are you untying the colt? 
And I, they say, the Lord needs it. So again, in my mind's eye, I really do think the guy is, why are you why are you messing with my stuff? And I'm wondering if the disciples in their mind, Jesus said, say this, so I'm going to say it. I hope it works out. You know, I don't know. And the guy says, okay, that's it. That's all we hear of this situation. Mm -hmm. so, and there, I think there's something to that too, because we have these two disciples who, um, when given these instructions by Jesus, they don't, uh, they don't argue. They don't. Well, what if? Yeah. What if they do? What about? So they just go and do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they don't put up a fuss. Uh, they just go and do it and trust that everything's going to work out, and then things unfold exactly how Jesus said they would. So that that had to bring a little reassurance. But at the same time, they're also, again, like you said, taking someone else's stuff. So maybe that was just expected. Um, but it unfolds there, and the answer they provide is sufficient. Right. I, I think that's really neat. Because, again, I can't imagine, I don't know how much the disciples know and understand all the events that are happening. Do they fully get why Jesus is entering in Jerusalem? And it's not like he hasn't told them multiple times, but have they grasped it? And then on top of this, and they've been traveling traveling with him for three years. They've seen some pretty miraculous things. And I would like to think that, go do this. Okay, I'll give the answer, and they do it. But again, going into somebody else's barn or whatever, untying it, that just has to feel weird. I have a question for you as you were talking there. It just made me think of this. Um, these two disciples here, and we don't know mm -hmm. who they are, but um, do you think they understood what was about to take place, specifically Jesus entering on a cult? Um, because assuming these disciples are Jews, mm -hmm. which, again, we don't know. Uh, they're not named. Um, but assuming they're Jews, they probably know the Old Testament pretty well. Do you think they're piecing together that he's about to ride into town on a colt, on a donkey, uh, that that really fulfills Zechariah 9.9? Do you think they're they're processing that, or they're just like, okay, Jesus, whatever, we'll do what you say? I, I think that's a great question, because, you know, it's forethought. Um, all the disciples at one time, I'm going to make the assumption, have confessed Jesus to be the Messiah. Mm-hmm. To what extent and so on and so forth, I, I don't know. And, and I mean, you know, even St. Peter, you are the son of the living God, but don't act like him. Don't go to the cross. You know, I mean, he misses the point. I, I don't know. And I think that's a really good question because do they put two and two together? Why would Jesus need a cult? And it's not like they don't know these prophecies. Yeah. So, to, to, to further this just uh, thought experiment, if they do, what do they expect? Mm -hmm. Because, I, again, I'm under the assumption they're waiting for Jesus to set up shop and be the earthly king. And if they do say, or we say, yes, they, they put two and two together, and that he's going to write in truly triumphal and take over Rome, you know, that's, that's just huge. And... And then on the other side, I'm not sure that they get it. I, I really think, and not that I think the, the disciples are, are bumbling idiots and just, we do what Jesus says. Mm -hmm. 
I wonder, you know, the conversation, do you think he's going to ride into Jerusalem on this thing? <laughs> well, we've been walking all this way. Right. So why does he need something? Oh, I guess his feet are just tired. Yeah. Like, Whatever, Jesus, we'll go do you. I've always taken it as they're just kind of, they're just following yeah. instruction because Jesus has never uh, let them down before. So they're just kind of carrying out the orders. Um, well, let me put let me put a spin on it. I, I like that because it's easy, and I, I, they're following what Jesus says because Jesus said so, which is good unto itself. But then, is like in the back of their head this hope? You know, Zechariah prophesied this. This is the fulfillment. Are we going to see it? Mm-hmm. And, and I don't want to cast doubt or anything like that. But I don't think that they see the fullness. Oh, here's the cult. Here's the the fulfillment of all the prophecy. Mm-hmm. Or is it, wouldn't this be great if? Mm-hmm. And again, not to have them deny, but they don't get it. They, you know, time and time again, they prove to us they don't get who Jesus is. Nobody got who Jesus was until uh, after the resurrection. But I'm curious. I think this is a really good question. How much did they hope this is it? Which well, really kind of changes the perspective on this. Yeah. So it's interesting. So um, speculation aside, we have one person in the narrative here who knows <laughs> yeah. what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> the important guy. Um, and I love what he does. I love that he exercises his power. Go and do this, and this is what you're going to find, and this is what you say. And it happens. And then they bring Jesus to the colt. They throw their cloaks on him. They put him on it. And then they go. Uh, And this is verse 37, um, or 36, sorry. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. I'm going to pause here. It's a test, Vicar. How many miracles has Jesus done? Um, a lot. A lot. I, I and in, isn't it John who says if we recorded everything he did oh, yeah. and said, we, we wouldn't have enough room on the bookcase, right? So yeah. I'm going to say a lot. I don't know. Do you have? A, is there a specific number you're looking well, for? Um, on the way to Jerusalem, I think it is. He only does six miracles. And he's done, he did more. But you, the recorded miracles that we have, it's not that many. And for the disciples, the whole multitude of disciples yeah. to be like— the mighty works, one, two, you know. But again, to point these out also points to these are things that only God does. Mm-hmm. And I really like that, even though it's a small number, these are big, mighty works that are not common to anybody else or prophet or a disciple. So and I think that's interesting. And it's one of those where if, if it's one thing— a crowd of people might go, oh, that was cool, but maybe that was a fluke or maybe maybe we didn't see it right or something. But when you're going two, three, four, okay, now now there's a trend. Right. <laughs> now something's really going on, so. And then um, 
And some of the Pharisees, this is verse 39, and the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. That's a huge statement because these disciples have attributed to Jesus not just the title of rabbi, not just the title of teacher, not the title of good guy, but king and messiah and God. Mm -hmm. That's blasphemy. Mm -hmm. That's a big no-no. And I think the Pharisees are being really nice to Jesus on this. Rebuke them. They don't call the police or anybody. They don't invoke law. They don't, okay, everybody has to die now. Mm -hmm. Rebuke them. Jesus, correct them. This isn't right. Yeah, it seems like they're giving him a chance to, okay, you can set things straight here before yep. you really Here's get your chance. water. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting, too, because I think um, throughout Luke, the, the Pharisees pretty consistently called Jesus teacher or rabbi, mm-hmm. um, which uh, is a lot of times you might look at that and say they're, they're trying to denigrate who he is and what he's doing. Um, but even here, maybe still perhaps giving him one last chance, uh, you know, they can hear what people are calling him, giving him some very serious titles here and um, trying to set the correct course here and, and call these people off. And I don't wonder, uh, well, I do wonder, I wonder if, um, if they weren't a little afraid at mm-hmm. this, uh, given that there is a true crowd at yeah. this point. So it's uh, this isn't just some preacher who's got a few people following him. There is a crowd right. following him. Maybe something is going to happen here, and, and maybe just the fear of, uh, you know, if there's an uprising or something like that, uh, the the civil authorities will have to step in mm-hmm. and, and shut it down, which could cause problems for the Jewish leaders. So just different things kind of swirling around as we're looking at this text. No, I think there's a lot to that. And practical things, um, there's definitely attack against their power. Um, who is this upstart? Who is this guy who... And now the people are calling him these things. And in fact, I want to ask, what do you make of the whole multitude of his disciples calling him king who comes in the name of the Lord? And then peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Those aren't just nice things you say about a, a good guy. Right. Yeah. Those, I mean, those are, those carry messianic weight to them. Uh, those, those aren't just to be thrown around flippantly. Um, so the, the, the titles that they're giving Jesus, coupled with the actions, laying down of the cloaks, putting the cloaks on the donkey, Jesus riding the donkey, um, it, it kind of sets the stage for uh, if they don't understand what is happening or they, don't, they think they know what's going on, um, there's certainly this... this buzz in the air that something special is happening. Um, You know, people are gathering together for the Passover. So you have a lot of Jewish people in one area that would understand the significance of not only what they're saying, but what is physically, visibly taking place in this moment. So there's a lot to consider just kind of contextually Mm -hmm. that puts into perspective what's being said and done as Jesus comes into town here. Well, and this is a royal procession. Mm -hmm. This is not just some guy with some followers walking into a city. 
the cloaks on the ground, the cloaks on the colt. That denotes royalty. Palm branches. Palm branches. Um, all of this is special. And this is truly the elevation of who Jesus is. And the Pharisees, again, don't like it, giving Jesus a chance. And teacher, rebuke your disciples. And again, I, I've said this before. I always think Jesus speaks calm, cool, and collectively. But he also speaks as God. And I think everybody hears him. He doesn't yell at the Pharisees. But when he makes this statement, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Mm. Just saying that, you hear power. This isn't just Jesus saying, Pharisees, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. Of course they're going to talk. Of course they're right. This is a weighted and loaded statement on multiple levels. So, Vicar, I have an idea, but I liked your idea too. What is Jesus saying about stones? So, I, I'm a very simple man, and I, I like to take this pretty much in what I would think the simplest terms of a literal, mm -hmm. the stones on the ground would cry out in praise to me. If there was nobody here to see what was going on, to understand what was going on, and we know not Nobody really gets what's going on. So if there was nobody around to see this entrance into Jerusalem, it wouldn't even matter because Jesus is the one with ultimate authority and he's come here for a purpose. He's here for a reason to go to the cross, die, rise, you know, conquer sin mm. and death, those minor things, yeah. conquer sin and death, and then ultimately um, ascend into heaven where he will come back again with all power, and this time not hidden or, or diminished in any capacity, not withheld, but in full glory, full authority to restore all things. So when I hear this, I just, if, if there were no people here praising me, the rocks on the ground would cry out. And we have a, a bit of a connection that if you're going to trace this line of thinking out, you get from Paul, uh, I think it is in, in Romans, um, the idea of creation groaning mm. for restoration. So th this idea that Jesus has so much power and authority that he could even have rocks cry out his praises. That's how I've always looked at it. Um, but there are some other ways to see it too. So I'll take your Paul and raise you one Ezekiel. <laughs> Uh, Ezekiel, uh, through the Holy Spirit, uh, preaches that God will remove our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh and put his spirit within us. And I, I like that idea and that imagery that these people, they do believe that Jesus is the Messiah, to what extent we're not sure, and the fullness. And as you said, they don't get it. And, and not that they're just caught up in mob mentality. They're exercising their, their faith in what they see and understand. But if these people didn't do that, those who are as good as and useful as a box of rocks, stones, dead people in their sins, Gentiles, unbelievers, they too would proclaim Christ the Messiah. And, and I, I think that's just amazing. And it really is just echoing what you're saying. I'm just using people. And um, and 
even to make the connection with uh, St. Paul, you know, that we're to live as living stones mm-hmm. in his body, in his connection. And we see this idea that only in Christ are we made alive. And this confession of faith makes us alive. And I like the idea that um, once we were dead in our trespasses, as useful as a box of rocks or useful as a stone, and only in this life in Christ are we made alive, living stones. Mm-hmm. And so I, I like that. I like both of them, and I, I think there, there's a lot to either one, and, and we can't pit those together uh, against each other. And I think Luke, uh, the Gospel of Luke, really, really draws out nicely the the idea of Jesus being rejected mm-hmm. uh, over and over and over yes. and over again, and specifically by the Jewish people. Um, so here we have you know, directly responding to some Jewish uh, leaders, the Pharisees here. Um, so he he might be kind of a direct in your face. If the Jewish people, if you aren't going to recognize who I am and, and get it or praise me, I'll just go to the Gentiles. Yeah. Or, or, yeah. yeah. So there's there's a lot to that. I, I like I like how you were thinking on that. I appreciate. It. I, I like the way you think on this. Well. All of this actually really does lead us to baby Jesus, because it's the anticipation of knowing that Christ our Lord visits us. This is the incarnation. He comes to become one of us. And what does he do? He goes to the depths of our death, our grave, and then brings us life. So the opening of Advent is a true celebration that our Lord has come and promises to come again. Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable, and of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. Would you take a moment to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform? This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.